there is that one that one flank that is from my cold dead hands shall not be infringed uh will not comply rock on bro like do your thing the far opposite side is no one should have a gun that's ban all guns let's be honest neither one of them are right neither one of them are You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. He managed to pull off another one. Look at that. He did it again. Streak. Streak is back. Trey, we uh, we have this thing where we we can't do an episode without a technical glitch of some sort. So Mike celebrate every time. Mike and I celebrate every time we do one. It's glitch free. I, I almost, get it. I get it. I almost fouled it up there with because uh, I had myself muted and I was like fiddling with my light and. Uh, and I almost didn't unmute myself, but we did. So, hi, Trey Miller, Ghost Tactical. How are you, buddy? I'm good, guys. It's awesome to be with you guys. How y'all doing? It's awesome to have you. Yeah, long overdue, man. I feel I feel like we we had you, but you've just been so kind to have us on your show so many times. <laughs> you know, I, I just you guys are definitely going for the bottom of the barrel. There's surely there's someone else that you could have found, uh, than my, my boring self. <laughs> we, uh, we uh, ran out, we ran out of a listers. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, D list. Hey, the D list is a real thing and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, but seriously, um, I didn't, I didn't realize this until probably, geez, probably six or eight months in, uh, with my affiliation back in 2019 when Mike and I were talking, I think it was right after GRPC. And I said, I want one of those sweatshirts. And Mike goes, he made that for himself. And I was like, I what? We like, you have fans. <laughs> he's like, no, no, he's a friend or whatever. Like, but you were le- legitimately the first person I think to, wear create and wear walk the talk america garb and and uh and i think that's super cool so why don't you start with your story tell us who you are and um and what you do and the podcast that you host and you've been hosting for quite some time but then like how why did you make this sweatshirt that you're wearing if you're not watching on youtube and you're only listening to us on the on the audio uh trey's wearing a wtta walk the talk america sweatshirt and it looks really cool. It's uh, it's got our old logo. We're gonna have to send you one with our new logo on it. But it's kind of it's kind of cool because it's the OG, and I, I kind of like the OG logo. But I'll get out of the way, and you can talk. Yeah, I, I like the OG. Uh, it was just one of those things where uh, I had met Mike 
I don't even remember who introduced us. I have no idea at this point who introduced us. It might have been Pincus, for all I know. It, it very well could have been. I think it probably was actually. He's the candy um, man of uh, the gun and, community. So I, you know, sense. I don't just don't judge me by the friends I keep. I'm see, sorry. You, you say know. Rob Pincus three times and he shows up. As a he, oh, he will. He will. That's why I said Pincus. I didn't say his first name. I didn't want to Beetlejuice you, you know. Um, no, I, I, I met Mike several years ago now. Gosh, I don't know, four years ago almost probably. Yeah. And just started talking. And one, about the same age, kind of the same interest, a lot of different things. But then we start talking about Walk the Talk America. And uh, it's just something that hit. I don't know why. Um, I, I probably do know why. But I mean, it, it just hit, it hit um, right off the bat. And, um, so start talking, became friends and, and I'm proud to call Mike and, and you, Jacob, but friends. Um, I remember going to shot, I think one of the years, um, that Mike was playing two roles at shot still at that point, not just walk the talk America. And I was going to get some sweatshirts made up and I was like, Oh man, I wonder. So I sent him a text and I was like, Hey, weird thing but do you mind if i use your logo to put on a sweatshirt and, and a hoodie he was like yeah go for it so i did and, and that's kind of what it is and i like the old school logo look you know um I, I like it but no um that's kind of where the sweatshirt came from it's just like i said for some reason uh the mission um that walk talk has hit home um not on a personal level i don't have the story that a lot of your guests have of being personally um, there with uh, a, a mental health crisis with firearms being included in. Um, but I, I've, I, I've been around, I've done some things in my life. I've seen a lot of things I know a lot of people that have uh, been touched, unfortunately by that. And it just kind of hit with me. And, and I believe in Mike, I believe in um, what walk the talk is and then meeting you, Jake and, and bringing that aspect to walk the talk was phenomenal um, but no, it's really for some reason, um, and it's a good thing, but the mission just kind of hit me hard right off the bat. And I was like, well, anything I can do to support this, um, you know, is what I'm going to try to do. So that's kind of where that came from. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Tell us a little bit about you too, cause you're, um, you know, you were in the Marines, um, but then you also do ghost tactical and that's a podcast. It's a, it's a you know, gun friendly pro to a podcast, but you're also very nuanced. You're not just like raw, raw, you know, cold dead hands guy. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I was in the Marine Corps, uh, got out a long time ago. Um, still involved with that community. Um, still do a lot of stuff with veterans and, and, and all of that with different organizations that I work with. So I'm pretty still, um, I ironically, when I got the Marine Corps, I got out in 1998 and, and I really had a really bad taste in my mouth for the Marine Corps. A lot of stuff happened while I was in not necessarily the Marine Corps fault, but the way that, uh, the government was treating the military. They, they froze promotions. They were trying to downsize the footprint of the U S military and that was just a bad time. It was during the Clinton years, and it was just a bad time. Um, so I got out, and I really had a bad taste in my mouth for the Marine Corps. And it, honestly, it took the towers falling for me to kind of reflect back and look and say, you know, I was proud of what I did. Um, I got to do, got a, do a lot of cool things, got to go a lot of cool places, maybe cool, maybe not. Um, but I still have brothers that I still talk to to this day that will be my brothers till Valhalla. Um, then 
all of that stuff. Um, <laughs> we're, I have a weird, weird story. I have a, I'm a golf pro by trade, um, which is an interesting thing to transition from. Um, but I just happened to, I, I had a, a couple knee surgeries in the Marine Corps and part of my rehab was to walk a lot. This is back in the nineties and they didn't have all the stuff they have now. Um, I never played golf and, um, some guys in my, my platoon were going to go play golf. And I like, he, he's going to come like, no, I don't, I'm, I don't do golf. And they said, well, just, Hey, you got to rehab, come walk. This is one was my captain. And he was very close, uh, dear friend of mine. Did a lot of things for me in my life, uh, even after service. Um, he's like, just come walk, you know, just hang out with us and rehab while we're playing. So I did. And then I hit a couple shots here and there. And then the next week we went again and hit a couple more shots and kind of got the itch, uh, if you will. And I'm one of those guys that has whatever I'm doing at that time. I'm like hyper, like hyper focused on and, we lived in, 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 in Oceanside, California, outside of Kent Pendleton. We lived across the highway from a driving range that closed at 10 o'clock at night. So after my wife and daughter uh, went to bed, I would go over to the driving range and literally hit golf balls until midnight. And the deal was I'd get them for free as long as I picked them up. So I did. And I kind of just did that. for, And it was a good way for me to clear my head, to get away from the noise, uh, or lack thereof. And you guys know what the lack of noise sometimes is. This is not as fun. Um, there was a way for me to get away and just do something on my own. And, and I've always kind of been with these people. I don't mind being by myself at all. Um, and all that fast forward. I, I, I did competitive shooting, done training my whole life. I love just, I, I love CQB and tactical training, just because that's just something I, I enjoy. So I go to training all the time, got into competitive shooting. I was literally at my range one day, this is in 2017, and I was getting ready for a big regional IDPA match up in Oklahoma, I think it was, maybe down in Texas, I can't remember. Um, and I was doing some practicing, and there was this guy at the other end of the pistol range. He was kind of looking like, what are you doing? Because if you've ever seen anybody get ready for like a USPSA or an IDPA match, it's not the normal stuff that people just do at the range. You're worried about draws, and you're trying, you're doing different things, mag changes and all that, and the town looks weird from the outside. And he was like, what are you doing? And I told him when I was doing it. He was like, oh, you know what? Like, that's kind of cool. I've always wanted to learn how to do that. You should do a video on that. I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. He's like, you should do a YouTube video. No. And he talked me into it. So my, my very first video was literally by mistake. I, I, I'm literally going like selfie style. And it was the worst video like maybe ever uploaded to YouTube. Next thing I know, I've got like 100, peop- 100 views on this thing. And I'm like, there are actually people watching this. <laughs> and it kind of went on from there and then you graduate into the next level of that. And then you start a podcast and I started to pop. My first podcast was called tactical Tuesday. Um, and I, and I'm still doing that. It's been rebranded about four years ago to the armed citizen podcast. Cause we start talking a little bit more about just tactics. It was, it's the lifestyle, the community. You guys have been on that podcast and we do that every Tuesday night live over on our YouTube channel and push that out to the podcast world. And then a couple of years ago, I started another podcast called the Jarhead Podcast. And um, it's not just about Marines. I've, I have had SEALs on. I've had Rangers on. I've, I've had CIA operatives on. 
Um, I've had all these different people on and it's just telling about stories. Um, but more important, the mission of that podcast, which is kind of goes into the military side is we're coming up well, we're past the 20 years with a lot of, a lot of these guys and gals that join the military after nine 11, their 20 years are coming up or they've already come up and they're going to be transitioning back into civilian world. And a lot of people don't know like what the options are out there. They're not being helped a whole lot. Um, so a lot of these people that I bring on the podcast are successful after their service life. And it's, it's a lot of it is, is what, what can you do? Like, you know, there are skill sets that veterans have that they don't even realize they have that are very attractive to corporate world USA. And it's a lot of it's about, Hey, there, there is, there is life after the military. You have skill sets that can help you in so many different facets of your life. And so the stories are of, getting out of the military. We, we do tell the fun stories of in the military, but the, the basis is you get out and you have options and uh, all that stuff. So I, I, I've been very involved with that. So my story is I love guns. I, I, I literally bleed red, white, and blue. And um, the military side of, of my life over the last 10, 15 years um, has really developed into what can I do to help others that may not have a voice or may not have any idea of what's next. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, and that's what we want to discuss with you is there, there's a lot of space in which we operate that deals with the veteran community and Mike and I not being veterans, we don't, I think we conceptualize the idea of transition and transitional living and um, that kind of thing. Not, not in the, if you're a behavioral health professional and I say transitional living, it's not that it's not, you're transitioning from residential life into like this halfway house before you get your job. It's like, it's literally the idea of living transitionally from one career, which is this very structured military style life into civilian life, which is often not structured except maybe at work. And then you're having to figure out and navigate uh, new duties, responsibilities and that kind of thing. So I, I, I would like to hear more about that. And I know Mike's got more questions, but selfishly, you know, one of the reasons that I, I don't know if I've ever shared this actually on, on this show, but um, I have a, another podcast. This is how Mike and I met. It's called Noggin Notes and it's mental health specific, mm -hmm. but I've been doing that for about five years and it's truly international. It's something I'm very proud of. But one of the things I get to do is I learn a great deal in these conversations and uh, so selfishly, I want to learn more about this and become more competent when I'm working with somebody who's recently separated from their military mm -hmm. service. Um, help me and help maybe the listening audience conceptualize what it is that people go through mm -hmm. and these discussions you've had and how you're helping folks, you know, transition effectively. Yeah. Um, an analogy that I could probably use um, is when someone's, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but when someone's getting out of prison or something and they spend years of their lives in prison and they become institutionalized and they're used to waking up at the same time every day. And, and literally every day is pretty much the same. You have to do this, 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 you go home, you go to sleep, you get up in the next day. And it's just like anything else in life, except for, like you said, there's a lot more structure to it. Um, now I can't speak for other branches, uh, but I can tell you for the Marine Corps, it is a very structured thing. Um, but that's by design. A lot of it comes down to 
repetition. And, and you guys know this in life. The more and more you repeat things, the better you get at it. Right. So whether it's shooting a gun or making a cup of coffee or whatever it is, if you do it enough times, you kind of learn the good and the bad and you, and you get better at that. And I think that the military, what they do is they, they, they break out, especially in boot camp, they break you down and strip you basically of uh, your civilian self. And then they build you up. And I'm not saying a robot, but they build you up into this, this warrior that they want you to be. And part of that is discipline. Um, it is, and, and these are the same skills. Once again, I want to talk about this also. These are the same skills that you learn in the military that most people don't realize they can take with them into the corporate world. Discipline, time management, do not get flustered under pressure. All of these things that you, the more you do this, and, and you'll hear most of the guys that were in the military will say that training is 10 times harder than the real thing. And it should be. They want you to be able to, to work under high pressure situations so that when you really does happen, you just react. Okay. And so it's very high, ten, high intensity, high pressured, um, a lot, a lot of intensity, uh, uh Sometimes a lot of yelling and screaming, um, at least my experience in the Marine Corps, maybe not in other branches, um, but that was done for a reason to see how much you can mentally control. They want you to be very physically strong and very physically capable, but honestly, they want you to be that much more mentally strong and mentally capable because if you can't figure out mentally what to do, then it doesn't matter what you physically can do. It doesn't matter. And so, uh, especially Marines, they, they call us crayon eaters and they make fun of us for being dumb. And that's cool. I can play the dumb Marine role all day, but when it comes down to it, I'll own you because most Marines are very intellectual. They're very intelligent, at least maybe in life skills, they're incredibly intelligent on how to deal with certain things. So I'll say this, you can make fun of veterans in general, but don't ever, ever second guess their, their will to win their competitiveness, and oh, by the way, they've seen more than you can possibly imagine. So don't ever think that you've got something on them. Uh, that's kind of one thing I would tell the guys also is like, you've been through enough things that most people in this world will never see. They'll never understand. They'll never, they'll never understand what it's like to see someone 20 feet from you get shot in the face. They don't understand that. They don't understand... Um, I'm going to say this. I, I, I was lucky. I never, I'll just say this. I don't know if I've ever killed anyone. Okay. I never was point blank, pull a trigger, saw that man fall or that person fall and know that I was the one responsible for his death. Very well could have. I don't know for certain. What I have seen is people 10 feet from me, 20 feet from me die. And there's nothing harder than that. And so I tell people all the time, especially guys getting out is the transition side is you have to, you have to understand what you bring to the table. You have to understand that you've seen things, you've been places, you've been in a world that the vast majority of civilians will never understand. And that doesn't make you bad. It makes you different, but it also makes you different in a good way because you've seen and been through things that you've gotten through. And so work stuff in, in corporate USA is going to be an easy day for you. And it's one of those things where um, the transitioning, 
going back, I'm sorry, I ramble sometimes. The transitioning is, is the hardest part for most guys because they have been in, institutionalized. They have been under a strict, structured life um, for 4, 8, 12, 16, 20 plus years. Whatever their contract, whatever they did, they had this structure. They knew what they were going to wear every day, literally. I mean, it got down, hey, we're wearing this uniform. So they didn't have to worry about going to the closet and say, well, should I wear the, the red tie or the yellow tie with this suit? It was, you're wearing this. Uh, you're wearing camouflage with boots. Um, or, hey, we got to dress up today, so we're going to wear Class A's you know, or, or Charlie's or whatever. But you knew what you were going to wear every day. You knew what was expected of you every day. Um, you had inspections weekly or whatever to make sure that you were keeping up with your sanitary self, your uniforms were being um, kept up, all this stuff. You had inspections. So you live this very structured life. And like you said, now they transition into the civilian world where it may probably is not as structured. Uh, there are, are there jobs out there that are going to be as structured? Absolutely. There, there could be. But in general, life in general is going to be much less structured. You didn't ever have to worry about getting going into work at 4.30 in the morning telling you to go home and make sure you take the next of Kim paperwork because we leave tonight at 6 o'clock and you've got a three-month-old daughter. That happened. That was not a fun day for me. Um, but it happens. You're not going to have that. And so, but so, but you, don't, you don't have to live on edge all the time. Uh, I think the hardest part, the, the, the three hardest parts that I hear a lot from guys and, and gals one, what can I do? Two, how do I do it? And three, is my, why, and I don't even have to explain the third one. The comments that I get a lot of time are, I don't understand where I fit in. And then that's the toughest part. One, you have skill sets. Once again, most people had an MOS in the military. They, they have, training in that job they have they got to go to school some of them are two weeks some of them are six months some of them are a year but you go to school well you've been taught a skill for free actually you were getting paid to to learn this skill so you have certain skills you've been trained for but more importantly whether you've been an accountant in your life or not um you have the the work ethic that people are looking for you have the discipline the respect for time and you work under pressure those are the things that people need to understand that they have, they bring to the table. Um, how do you get started? You ask for help. That's the problem that I think most guys don't understand is the military is really bad, really bad about transitioning. They don't give a lot of support. They don't give a lot of information to people transitioning out of the military. And especially once you're out, you're almost like, hey, thanks for serving, but see ya. Um but there are so many different organizations started by veterans who have been there, done that. Even if they don't go to an organization, talk to someone that, you know, is successful that was a veteran. How'd you get that done? We're our own best resource, but very few people think about that. And I think because it's pride, I think that we're such, okay, honestly, especially Marines, we're extremely arrogant. That's how they want us. Okay. Let's be honest. That's how they want us. They want us bulletproof. They want us thinking there's nothing in this world that we cannot handle. And then you get to a position where you're not in control. That's the hardest part is how, how do I ask for help without maybe thinking that I'm weak? 
And I think that that's where a lot of the PTS comes in to play with where our guys are hurting is a lot of it's pride. Uh, I think there's two things with that. One, we can get to this later, but one, um, they don't want to ask for help. They think they're showing weakness that they're asking for help. Or two, where I think a lot of it is, is they don't know they have a problem. They don't know that they've changed. And they don't recognize that they're different than they were before. That's a whole different uh, thing. Um, but as far as the transition, I think the biggest problem is, is, is they don't realize what they bring to the table and they don't know how or aren't willing to ask for help. Um, that makes, I'm sorry, I ramble, like I said, but that makes a long story kind of short. They don't know the skill sets they have to offer the workplace and they don't know why or how to ask for help. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, I just want to ask, uh, uh, Trey, why do you think so many vets gravitate towards the firearms industry or the 2A community when they're done? And it can't just because, you know, we were all, or I want to say we, but you know, they were all, uh, you know, assigned a firearm. Why do you, what is it about this industry that they like? Um, okay. So here's an interesting one because I never shot guns before I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I mean, I shot like a 22, maybe at summer camp a couple times or my buddy's ranch shooting at a can or a snake or something growing up. Uh, but never really had any experience. I went to boot camp and shot the M 16, a two for the first time. And a light bulb literally went off. I was like, Oh, like, this is awesome. Like, this is fun. Now, I'm not that guy that says, give me a rifle, I want to go kill people. There are people like that. I wasn't like that, but I did enjoy shooting firearms. Um, when I got out, it was not something that I ever thought about as a career, but I think the biggest thing is, especially the ones that <clears throat> the ones that have left the military that probably are going into the training side and the firearm side are probably the operators, are probably the ones that, that were with firearm all the time in their, in their jobs. Um, they were the ones that they're like, that was a, an extension of them. Okay. And when they get out, we're talking once again, I think the biggest problem is I, I don't think that they think they can do anything else. They have a specific skill and it's hard for a warrior to be told you're no longer a warrior and good luck. So you sit there and say, well, what have I done? Well, I've done a lot of CQB training. I've done a lot of land navigation. I've done a lot of firearms stuff. Um, that's the only thing that I feel comfortable in in my life right now that I feel like I could do well. Is that the case? No. Um, but I think that their first reaction is I've got to make money. I've got to bring in an income to support the life that I have right now with my, my family or whatever the case may be. And instead of sitting down and saying, what do I really want to do? Even though it might be hard and I might not be qualified right now, what do I really want to do? They take the easy road out because it's comfortable to them. So I think they gravitate to something that's comfortable because that's been a part of their lives for so long. And the, once again, the transitioning is tough because they don't know any different. They've been doing this for so long. It's a part of them. So I, I think uh, my personal opinion is I think that there's, there's a little bit of, of, of fear of doing something. And I think that's just something that they they're comfortable with and they know they can do that. They know they can handle guns. They know they can do certain things. Uh, and I can teach the, 
the the lawyer and the stockholder that wants to play weekend warrior. I can teach them how to shoot a gun. They're going to pay me well for it. Um, it's it's for them in their mind. It's pretty easy money, and ultimately that's what it comes down to. I think is for them in their minds at that time in their lives. That's the be it, the best and the easiest way for them to provide for their family. Among Walk the Talk America's partners, Arms Corps may have the most colorful history of them all. But then again, that likely happens when you have a company that's lasted for more than a century. Started in 1905 in the Philippines and expanding operations to right here to Nevada in 1985, Arms Corps offers some of the finest firearms you'll find on the market. From shotguns to 1911s, and from ammunition to a competitive shooting team, Arms Corps offers a lot. But there's something more. Arms Corps is the first manufacturer to print the free and anonymous mental health screenings link offered through Walk the Talk America's website right there on their packaging. If you buy an Arms Corps product, you will not only see our flyer inside, but you may actually see the screenings link printed on the side of the box. Go to armscor.com, that's armscor.com, to find out more about their heritage, their products, and their competitive shooting team. We're proud and thankful to have Arms Corps as a partner. So, first of all, uh, CQB, close quarters combat? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm that's, sorry. That's yeah. fine. CQB, we, we like uh, to define acronyms yeah. for people who don't know. Um, <laughs> I had to, I myself had to determine what those letters meant. Um, but then, uh, by the way, don't worry about rambling. Ra- you're not rambling. You're actually quite on point and not rambling at all. And I'm enjoying listening to this. But what I'm picking up on here are a couple of, uh, three, I guess, themes. One is what we would call in my field external locus of control, meaning something outside of you is providing the structure. And absent that, mm. it's it's very scary to think that you yourself have to be in charge of whatever's going on around you, right? Um, structuring your schedule, setting your alarm clock, finding the job, uh, picking out your clothing. Uh, the next one is that there's this uh, routine, right? It's a routinized pattern. And I love that you said whatever you practice well, you're going to get good at. And that could go for, you know, if you practice being angry, you're going to be really good at being angry. If you practice being in chaos, you're going to get really good at that. And and I don't mean that you're going to enjoy it necessarily, but you're going to be, you're going to know it well. And that will be your default uh, when anything else is going on. You're going to default to the, to the chaos or the anger or whatever. So transitioning out of that is going to be very hard simply because you don't know the other options. And then third is this identity issue where a lot of times we conflate who we are with what we think and or and or what we do. So it's like you mentioned accountancy, it's like, you know, a, a, a regular uh, you know, example that I use or an analogy is like Bob the accountant has been Bob the accountant for 40 years now it's time to retire and he doesn't know quote unquote who he is without his accountancy practice. And it's like, well, you're lots of things, Bob. You, you're a dad, you're a grandfather, you're a husband, you're a bowler. You know, it's like you are many things. So it's not just limited to this identity. And you're right about the fear. The fear uh, trickles through many of those presentations. So the, the, the uncertainty of not knowing what to do next, the uncertainty of not being, uh, for lack of a better word, controlled by your external environment, and then the uncertainty of knowing who you are at your core. And then that speaks to the to the competency and not knowing that you're actually good at certain things to the point that you can deliver them in a different environment, corporate world or private sector or entrepreneurship or whatever it may be. 
And I think being able to reframe those skills is, is really critical too. So, so those themes tend to emerge and that's not unlike what we work on in the counseling office when somebody's trying to break or at least recreate habits, right? Break old habits or recreate new ones. And a lot of times what I encounter is a lack of structure and I'm, and I'm trying to help people provide and build in more structure by setting boundaries and, and establishing habits and venturing purposefully into a direction that is um, that is somewhat, I don't know, structured, even though they're the ones creating the structure. So we get a lot of people in here who are full of anxiety or depression or they, they've had tumult in their lives since they were very little. And, and I'm trying to shore up the structure. You're, you're interestingly, you're bringing a lot of insight to these folks who are going the opposite direction away from the the patterned habit of structure and into something where it's a navigable chaos, so to speak, uh, where it's not, it's not pathological. It's not, it's not bad. It's not bad chaos where you're just constantly, you know, falling into, you know, self, uh, destructive patterns or anything, but you're like, Hey, look, man, like you can't control your external environment. Yes. You do have a boss. Yes. You do have a chain of command at the workplace or whatever. And you're still responsible for all these things outside that work environment and within it, especially if bosses are ask, asking you to be like self-starting or initiating or creating new ideas or opportunities, they're like, I don't know. <laughs> like it's always been told to me what I what I need to do. Not I've never actually been given the latitude to um, dream. Uh, you know, so I wonder how many people get out and you know, they're like, well, you know, I'm really good at this this thing over here, but what I really want to do is something else that I I don't have the confidence to pursue even though like, like I think you're alluding to, and I'm putting words in your mouth, like you're trying to say, look, you do have the ability, you do have these skill sets. They just may be applied differently. And so I think, I think what you're expressing here is, is not unlike what we're trying to do in the therapeutic world, where we're trying to help people encourage themselves and find the ability to dig deep, find their self-efficacy and choose a path because it's terrifying which again speaks to like emotional functioning or which i'm a big fan of obviously because i teach it but it's like if you know your emotions well and you know that fear really well you can tolerate the fear push through to the other mm -hmm. side and know you accomplish something and that that actually builds more confidence more courage and so forth it's really interesting to see the parallels as you lay them out because i don't think i ever quite i don't think i quite conceptualized it that way that um that the same stuff presents in both in both professions. It's I don't know. I mean, yeah. like my mind's I, I, I think, turning. I right think now. the interesting thing is 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 in the military, um, you you you're, you're mission oriented. Whatever that mission is, and it might be something for that day. You clean the squad, whatever it is, but you've got a mission every day. Um, but you're doing that with a team very very seldomly. Even even Marine Scout snipers, they're not by themselves. They've got a spotter. They've got a, a you know, someone with them. Um, everything's done with a, in, a, in a team environment, whether it's a, a four-man fire team or a squad or a platoon or a company or a battalion or regiment, whatever it is, you're, you're very rarely asked to do anything on your own in the military. And so you've got that built-in support system of your brothers, uh, that team to accomplish said mission. When you get out, not only are you kind of wondering what you're going to do, but you're also left without this team 
concept anymore. You're on your own and you've never been asked to do certain things on your own. So not only are you trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, you got to do that by yourself. So they think, um, and whether you're a veteran or not, if you're interested in doing something, the best thing that you can do is find people that are like-minded that enjoy that same hobby. And if you're interested in being a, a, I don't know, a investment banker, let's just say that, then go try to find other people that are investment bankers and join in with them and talk with them. Now you've kind of created your own little team. They, they're going to have give you guidance. Um, and I think that where that helps is you're never alone. Um, whether or not you, you, you are or not, you have that sense of team. You have that sense of group. I think um, humans, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of speaking out of my butt here, but I can tell you my, my lifestyle, I think that humans perform better in packs because they have that built-in support system. They have that built-in brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever, and they know that someone's got their backs and they don't have to be perfect. Because if you're not perfect, someone else might help you pick up the pieces. So um, I would say that I was like, look, look, try to find someone, try to find a group of people that have their like-minded, whether it's bike riding or whatever, they're interested in doing something that you're interested in doing. Um, if you feel alone, I'm not going to, this is a bad thing, but I mean, if you feel alone, part of that's your own damn fault. Um, and, and maybe you need to get over that and, and, and be able to trust someone again, be able to let someone into your circle. I keep my, my circle very, very, very close. Um, and I, I'm definitely loyal to the people that I do allow in my circle. Um, but I do let people in my circle and some people don't know how to do that. Maybe. Well, and, and I think you're spot on with that because when I teach the emotional functioning stuff, I talk about how we're designed to be in tribes evolutionarily, and the tribe is dozens. It's not thousands. And, and unfortunately, I think what's happened is we've got conflicting messages from culture now where social media says mm-hmm. everybody's in your tribe and you need to be mindful of all persons' sensitivities, and, and that's that's not possible. But also we've got messaging that says— Who is it fair? It's not fair No, no, either. it's not. Not at all because um, it's not realistic. And right. for you know, forty thousand years that humans have been walking the planet, we haven't ever had that. Never. And so there's that, but then completely contradictory to that is and not to bag on the army too much, but the whole like, you know, army of one thing could probably didn't do anybody any favors. But we've got this like isolative uh, messaging that says, go ahead and like create your own virtual world. You don't need anybody but you. Um, And then there's all that like mental health is even doing it, which I'm pretty ashamed of my community for saying such a thing. But it's like you can do this on your own. You don't need anybody else. Solve your problems from within. It's like some of that is true because you're your only you're the one you can figure that out on your own. Like, no, yes, you can have guides, but look, dude, you, you need guides, right? Like, so I think there's this weird binary pull where we've become super isolative. We stick on our devices. We're glued to screens. We don't actually connect in a, in a human way to our small tribes. And Oh, by the way, when you're glued to your phone, everybody on the phone is part of your tribe and it's totally contradictory messaging. And so neurologically, we get really screwed up. And no wonder mental illness is spiraling the way that it is. 
Jake, it's time to spotlight one of my favorite organizations in the firearms industry. Yeah, let's do it. The National Association of Sporting Good Wholesalers. Not only was I a customer when I owned Eagle Imports for many years, but they're also a sponsor of Walk the Talk America and our mission. The NASGW is comprised of wholesalers, manufacturers, independent sales reps, media, and service providers, both national and international, all whom have a primary focus on shooting sports equipment and accessories. As a trade association representing the business interests of its members, NASCW's mission is to bring shooting sports buyers and sellers together. For more information about the NASGW, visit the association's website at nasgw.org. That was a good read, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I hate to do this. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, Jake. Um, but I please, have a question for me. you. Um, so I, I've got a friend of mine whose wife is a psychologist, psychiatrist. I don't, I still don't understand which one's which. Um, also a problem in our community, by the way. Okay. We fail to define these roles, um, right? She's, she's a doctor. I know that. Like she, she can prescribe if need be. So, so probably a psychiatrist. Um, there are times when we're around and, and all of that, and you can see that she's not present. She's she's there, but she's not necessarily all there. And, and and I asked her one time, I was like, you okay? And all that. And she's like, yeah, I've just been rough, you know, and all that. My question to you, Jake, is is I spend a good portion of my time trying to get, tell people that it's okay to ask for help. And there are people like yourselves that are here to help everyone get through or at least understand maybe where their fears and and self-consciousness comes from and where their their problems are coming from maybe not to cure it but to help us cure ourselves my question to you is who do you go to like i i can't imagine honestly like having to listen to people every day and, and some of these are horrific things you have to listen to and being able to compartmentalize that in your own life and and, and not have problems yourself like does that affect you and, and like who do you go to it can, uh, it can affect us. I personally, so it's a complicated answer to a pretty big question, but I want to try to answer it because I think it's important. I'm, I think I got a pretty elite training in graduate school and then I got a, a really good, robust, well-rounded training from multiple supervisors when I was doing my state licensed internship. So in our field, you have to do like 3,000 hours in Nevada, 500 of which carry over from grad school because you're supposed to have been working with people in grad program and whatnot. And, um, and I surrounded myself with as many supervisors as I could. Whether or not those hours counted, quote-unquote, toward my licensure is irrelevant. I just wanted to be best at what I could do. And so I was constantly consulting. And what I was taught through the course of the, the grad program and then my supervisors and then ultimately into my career was – good boundaries and one name that keeps surfacing is a friend of mine he's he's almost mentioned on every single podcast we have uh, or I should say he is mentioned on almost every single podcast he's not almost mentioned that would be weird um, but his name is Christian Conti and it's a drinking game by yeah, the it, way now at this point it, it is it's like can you listen to the WTTA Guns and Mental Health podcast without mentioning Christian Conti but one of the things that he he talks about is He's got these five errors of communication. I'm not going to go through them all. You can 
you can read his books and, and find out about him. But one of them is making the error of omnipotence. And the error of omnipotence says that I am responsible for your behavioral change, your outcomes, your um, whatever, right? And I'm not, you are. And so learning to set good boundaries and leave work at work is critical. I happen also to be raised by a cop and a teacher, and I come from a family full of cops and teachers, and they didn't always do the best job of leaving work at work. I constantly heard about stories of what they dealt with, with students and uh, students running amok and parents, and then also, you know, crooks that my dad chased down on the street or whatever. And it, I could tell that it bothered my parents, uh, certainly the politics of each profession as well. And some of these things are in your control, some of them are not in your control, but what you do have control over is how you respond. And that comes from a philosopher named Epictetus, he's a a Greek guy. And Epictetus, in a paraphrasing way, says, you don't get to choose how uh, things happen to you, you get to choose how you respond to the things that happen to you. So what I've tried to program into my interns and my students is, come to work, do your job, be as present as you as you can for the people who are in front of you, treat your patients, and then once that session is done, you leave it and you move on to the next one. Now that sounds easier said than it is done, but the way you make it um, performed easier is you have to rehearse mentally, and again, this goes back to practice, and whatever you practice, you're going to get good at, which is another Kantism. I'm actually staring at the book, Mastering What You Practice, which is a workbook of his. Um, but if you practice and rehearse in your head that their baggage is not mine to carry, their problems are not mine to solve, their distresses are not mine to endure, then it frees you up not only to go home and be at peace with your family or, or be present with your next patient, but it also frees you up to be able to honor and respect the path that they choose for themselves to solve their stuff. Because if I start solving it, even if I could, and I don't have a magic wand, I joke regularly that I broke my wand, I haven't been to Ollivander's to get it repaired, but even if I had a magic <laughs> wand, it would be highly unethical for me to wave it over somebody else's life and solve their problems for them, because they then get deprived of the opportunity of knowing that they can do it themselves. And if and if you fall into my camp, which, is, which believes that human beings are limitless in their potential, and they can achieve anything any other human being has ever achieved, then I don't want to rob them of that, make the error of omnipotence, thinking that I I am responsible for solving their problems. So therefore, it doesn't matter how many tales of horror and woe and injury and nefariousness darken my door. I know it's not mine to solve, carry, or deal with. It's theirs. Now, my job is to create an environment that is as warm and welcoming and non-judgmental and conducive to helping them make that change as I can create it. So that means I want to watch my language. I want to make sure that my interventions are on point and precisely oriented toward their goals. I don't want to make it about me. In other words, I want to make it about them. And my job is to arm myself with the, with the most knowledge and robust intervention strategies as possible so that no matter what walks through my door, I can at least offer something. And then I, you know, I have to navigate the ethics of when to use certain things, uh, how to deliver certain messages so that I don't shock them or drag them back into their trauma or whatever it is. But that's how, like, um, I, so personally, where I turn is to my peer colleagues. Uh, if I'm struggling with mm-hmm. something deep and personal, I'm going to turn to somebody I trust who's 
you know, deeply Your personal tribe. with me, right? My tribe, my that's right. My wife, hopefully, would be center point on that. And I understand that people emerge from childhood into adulthood and don't have trust. I get it. There's attachment issues. That's usually what therapy is for. A good couples counselor will compel both parties into the session and drive that vulnerability and intimacy so that they can solve their own problems and then set them on their way. I don't want to create a dependence on the therapist. So I used to go to therapy. Uh, I've been to therapy with my wife. We've done couples counseling. And after a while, I just, you know, through self-exploration, lots of podcasting, lots of uh, article digestion, but also, you know, constant texting with friends and, and some social media involvement. Social media is not all evil for adults. I will say it's, no, it's almost, not. it's more, it's more bad now for children than it is good. Uh, two years ago, I would not have made that statement, but today I think that I don't, I don't know that young minds are equipped to deal with social media, but that's a different topic for a different day. But I have connected through people in in my close proximity as well as throughout regionally or nationally or internationally. Those who can provide a different perspective and reflect honestly. You know, I've, I've surrounded my, myself with a council of trusted advisors to sort of quote scripture with whom I can trust my deepest, darkest fears, secrets, uh, whatever, endeavors, um, hopes, aspirations that will give me accurate feedback. And and in considering all that, balanced against my worldview, and, and everyone should have a worldview, everyone should have a, a belief system that is anchored in something quantifiable and, and printed, hopefully. You can say, this is why I believe what I believe, whether it's an ethical standard, uh, belief in a higher power, some, some doctrine of some sort. I balance all that and I go, is this right? Is this true? Does this fit with my soul? And ultimately, I can leave that stuff aside. Now, that all being said, if there's true problems within the system, which there are, manifold, um, then I can choose which battles to fight. Do I want to go advocate for more, say, the, the thing that's hot on my radar right now is Medicaid reimbursement in Nevada is the lowest that it's ever been for psychotherapy. We haven't moved our Medicaid reimbursement rate for 12 years. And that's abhorrent. It ranks the lowest of all commercial reimbursement rates. That needs to change. That's gonna that's gonna incur my firepower for the next several months because what it's doing is it's forcing good providers out of the network so that the citizens of my community don't have access. That's not good. I live in this community. I want everybody to be healthy. I, as one of those providers, don't want to be forced out because I fail to be market competitive with the salaries that I pay. So the state of Nevada has to come to the table and and increase that reimbursement rate. Years ago, it was bringing license parity to all of the licensees in Nevada. There were certain people in our state who couldn't treat couples and families, for example. So I set out to change that. Uh, Got on my licensing board, rewrote a bunch of our laws, passed a bill in our legislature that brought license parity to the professional counselors who we were the only state in, in the nation that didn't allow its professional counselors to treat couples and families. That's stupid. Uh, there were forces that said that that was not right. We should not do that. Uh, they, quote unquote, don't have the training. We do. We, MFTs, marriage family therapists. And I thought that was just dumb because um, people are hurting. They need help. So 
there's things like that where you pick your battles and you say, I want to, I want to make this change, but you can't chase everything down. And I think that's what afflicts a lot of us is we get, you know, horrible tales of abuse and neglect and violence from people who've been in prison or people who've <laughs> done things to go to prison or people who should be in prison and aren't. And, and we're, we're really struggling to leave work at work. And, and so that's what I, I push to people to say, like, you come first and foremost. If you're not healthy, you're not going to be much good to anybody else. You have to learn how to set good boundaries in your life. Uh, long answer to a short question, but I, I hope I covered it. Yeah, it is fascinating because what you have said there um, kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier. You have your tribe. Uh, mm-hmm. You have your support system, your support group. Um, that are there for you if you need help. Um, and very rarely do you probably need to ask for help because they can probably tell when something's up to begin with. Right. Same kind of a thing. I think a lot of it comes down to um, knowing yourself. I'm a big compartmentalization guy. Um, and I, I tell people, like, it sounds bad, but I'll get a phone call at 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night, something that I know is work-related from someone. I won't even answer the phone. It, 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 there's nothing I can do for at eight o'clock at night that I can't do eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and so I compartmentalize when I'm home, I'm home when I'm at work, when I'm at work, when I'm with my friends, I'm with my friends. And that's kind of how I've always lived my life. Um, like I said, whatever I'm doing at that time, I'm all in on. Yeah. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I, I, I don't know, but that's how my mind works. Well, and well, I think a lot of, uh, yeah, let me jump in here real quick. Like, so yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, like, this isn't meant to drive anxiety with anybody or make them self-doubt. Every one of us, if we got hit by a bus tomorrow, life would move on. So mm-hmm. that invites a non-attachment that allows us to not judge too harshly where we did or did not choose to make uh, some sort of action or take action. Um, you can't take yourself too seriously. And you can't take your, your contribution to life too seriously. Because again, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, what happens? People mourn, somebody picks up the pieces, and life moves on. So if you fail to acknowledge that, and you overcommit to things that take away from what's really important to you, and I'm not going to draw lines around what's really important to people. I know what's important to me. And you're overcommitting to the things that don't matter in the long run if you get hit by a bus then you've got your priorities inverted. So yeah, to your, to your point, yeah, be at home if you're, if you're choosing to be at home. Yeah. I, you know, you said something right there and kind of getting back into uh, maybe a little PTS, um, the darkness that a lot of us like to talk about. Um, and I don't know if that's a term that you guys use in, in the profession. It's a term that goes, that gets passed along and, and from our guys is the darkness and the light and all of that. But you said someone gets hit by a bus, um, life moves on. And I was having a conversation with a guy um, not too long ago and was having issues with, um, got deployed came back and all anyone ever wanted to talk about was what he did. I mean, people that he kill all this, that, and the other. And he said, I don't want to talk about it. And I said, understand two things. One, once again, the military life. So you go down range and you go somewhere and you're there for two weeks, nine months, whatever that is that you're there to do, whatever it is that you're going to do. 
Um, here's what most people understand. When, when, when you go down range or something, once again, we try to figure out routines. We're going to go patrol from this time to this time. We're going to eat from this time to this time. We're going to work out from this time to this time. We're going to drink from this time to this time. We're going to go to bed, wake up and do the same thing again the next day. And depending on when your patrol is, is depending on when you eat lunch, your lunch might be at four in the morning. I mean, it's just, you know, it's what it is. It's, it's a, but you learn, you learn this cycle and you learn this program. And what that does is for in your mind, time stands still time freezes because in your mind, I'm in this God forsaken place, but I'm doing this. And, and this is my way to cope with doing this where I think a lot of the problems with the, the guys coming home uh, and this is also going into transitioning into civilian world, but they come home and they might've been gone for a year. You know, I was overseas for a year. Um, you come home and you, you, your life has kind of stood still. You've kind of figured out ways for it to freeze because you're doing certain things over and over and over again. You get home and everyone else has moved on with their lives. They know they, it's not that they didn't love you. It's not that they still don't love you. It's they didn't have time to worry about mm-hmm. what you were doing every day. And they had to live their lives. Your wife had to make sure your kids were getting to school and, and getting to soccer practice and, and all of that. Your, your girlfriend or boyfriend, they got lonely. They needed someone to help fulfill their needs. So they've moved on all of this. And and in your mind, nothing's changed, but to everyone else in the world, it's been a year or nine months or whatever that is. So they come home and now all they want to do is talk about what you did for the last nine months. And the last thing you want to do is talk about what you did for the last nine months. And it's this crazy cycle of just feeding upon itself. And, and I, and I had to tell this guy, I said, look, they're asking because they truly are interested in what you did. They may not understand what you did. They may not know what you did. They're trying to get you to talk about what you did so they can feel part of it. Mm-hmm. I said, now a lot of this stuff may be incredibly difficult for you to talk about, and you might just not want to talk about it at all, but don't get mad at them for being interested. They don't know. And I said, the best thing that you can do is say, guys, there are certain things that I will talk about. And there are certain things that I won't talk about and tell them straight up. If you want to ask about this, 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 or this, I'm all in. Don't ask me about this. Because I'm not ready to talk about it right now. And if they don't respect those boundaries, then to hell with them. Uh, I said, most of your loved ones are going to respect your boundaries. And I said, but don't get mad at them because they're interested. Most importantly, don't get mad at them for moving on. They didn't have a choice but to move on. And I think that's where the hardest part of coming back is, is a lot of these warriors have to deal with what they saw, what they did. And that's something that's going to live for the rest of their lives. I'm just, I'm not going to lie. You're, you're going to, you, we all see things that we wish we could never have had, been able to see. We've done things that we wish we probably should have never done, but we did. And we saw them. 
And part of the healing is maybe talking about them to someone maybe that has an experience like that, that you have that common bond with say, Hey, you remember when we did this? Yeah. Yeah. That sucked. Yeah, it sure did. But the best thing that you can do is also understand that being a veteran is who you are, but it's not what you are. You are a veteran. You are, you, you, you were, you are a Marine. You, you're a Marine is who I am, but it's not what I am anymore. Right. I'll always have part of that. That's in me. And I'll always have these experiences that I'll have to good or bad take with me for the rest of my life, but I'm not going to let those successes or failures define who I am 20 years later. Um, and I think that that's the hardest part for our guys and, and gals coming home is reconciling with the fact that life has moved on without them, but then be willing to jump right back into the flow of the traffic to figure out a way to get back it, to get back there. And I think that's the hardest part is, is jumping back into traffic jam that's and not, saying, you yeah. know what, I, I've got to do this. I mean, either I'm either going to sit here on the shoulder all day or I'm going to get to point B, but I'm going to have, if I'm going to get there, I've got to jump into 85 mile an hour traffic and figure out a way to maneuver this. Yeah, that's that's not unlike our our profession at all, actually, because people are constantly you yeah. know, picking our brains. Like <laughs> we're the shiny object that gets passed around. It's like, oh, you you work in mental health. Tell me about this thing about my mother. <laughs> like, uh, how about not here? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, once again, it comes down to compartmentalizing, and I think that we have to understand that everyone, and this is what makes it being a better human is. Everyone has to understand that everyone else is going through life also. And is it okay to be selfish at times? Absolutely. But we also have to understand that um, being selfish isn't always the best way is sometimes you just have to be patient and patience is, is hard for a lot of people. It's hard for me. I'm one of those people personally that um, I want it done yesterday. And when I get something, when I get a task, it's going to be done. Hey, you got tools to do this. I'll be doing it in three hours because I just want to get that done and move to the next one. It's check that off, check that off, check that off. Let's go. Um, but I also didn't understand that my schedule isn't your schedule. And that's, that's something that I think a lot of us and, and, and just in being a human being has to realize is it's not all about us. Um, everyone has their own problems in life. Everyone has their own life. And just because I need to talk to someone right now doesn't mean it has to be you because you may not have the time right now. Hey, Trey, you, you've yeah. been instrumental in a lot of the conversations that WTTA has had with uh, the VA. You know, we've called upon yeah. you to help out and we've done surveys mm -hmm. to help out the VA. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever asked you, how has your experience with the VA been? I have never, I, I, <laughs> I have never used the VA for my own personal reasons. Um, a lot of that is pride. And a lot of that is, there are a lot of people out there that are a lot worse off in life than I am. And me taking up time at the VA hospital, seeing a doctor or whatever, um, could be used for someone that actually probably needs it more than I do. Uh, so my personal experiences of me utilizing the VA for as a hospital or, or, or for anything like that, I I've never used now 
there's a part of this is when I got out, um, I was told don't ever go to the VA. It's not worth it. They can't help you. They're not going to help you. There is too much bull crap going on for them to be able to help you. So that was the first side of it is, well, I'm not going to go there. And then once I realized it's really, I mean, does the VA have its issues? Yes. Is it as bad as the perception out there? I don't think so. It may be in some areas Um, where I live. It's not that bad. Uh, I talked to a lot of guys that go to the VA hospital and they say their experiences are wonderful. Uh, They don't have to wait eight hours to be told to come back in two weeks. Uh, They're there. They get seen. Does that happen? 100% it happens. Um, Matter of fact, my wife asked me not too long ago. She's like, you know, you can go to the VA and and get this, this, and this, and this done, right? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, well, why don't you ever go? And I was like, because there's a guy that's a lot worse off than I can, that I am, that if it means that he gets in an hour before because I didn't go, then he needs to get in there more than I am. And you have um, options, I take it, right? Other than the VA, I, I do a have lot options. of people don't. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have, I have medical health insurance and all that through my job. Um, I, I, I am, I, I am blessed to be able to afford um, medical and and all of that care without putting a stress on my family. Once again, there are a lot of people that are worse off in their life than I am. And if they can get in to see someone that's going to be little to no cost that can get them help, then they should be the ones that are they're getting in to be seen. So honestly, it's one of those things where I almost feel guilty for using the VA. So I, I don't. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know that I've heard that before. I've heard it before in different circumstances, but I don't think I've heard it with in this particular context. And, and I want to make sure we're not conflating like, if you've got VA healthcare and you don't have the backup plan and you need help, go get help. Right? Don't think that we'll you're somehow like, and if it came down to it, I would use the VA. Yeah. If, if it came down to it, a hundred percent, I would go use the VA. Um, luckily I have never been in the position where I've had to depend on that. Big pregnant pause. I thought Mike was leaning in with something to say. Oh, <laughs> So I, th- I think oh. the important thing there is, though, that like we don't communicate the message that there's a comparison to worse. You know, if, if you're ailing, go get help. Uh, it doesn't matter where that help comes mm-hmm. from. Um, but you have resources. You have a tribe. You can solve many of these things yourself. And if there's somebody who looks around and surveys the landscape and says, all right, you know, today is the day. It's time for me to go get my shoulder repaired because I jumped out of too many helicopters, then and they look around, they go, VA is what's being offered. Don't do mental acrobatics to avoid going in, right? So you go ahead and ask for that help. But to that point, how many people actually like ask for help when they're taught to, especially if they, if the culture is such that it's like, you know, self-reliance and sustainability and, you know, all that stuff. Like what is help, what is getting help look like? Um, I think we tend to stratify this in, in terms of like professional services versus community-based, whatever, you know, leaning on your people. And I don't know uh, anybody who's going to operate to repair my rotator cuff, uh, for example, in my home. They're not going to just throw me on a, on a chair in the garage. God, I and, hope not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's so many things that, that absolutely can be taken care of 
within mm-hmm. one's own community without seeking out professional services. And that's why we do things like podcasts and YouTube channels. And, and I'm constantly telling people, stay out of my clinic. I don't want you coming through the, the, the front door. If you can take this information that I'm giving you and rely on your mm-hmm. spouse, your best friends, your neighbors to help you work through whatever it is psychologically, because I get to do that because I, I roam in the realm of not needing medical devices to solve people's problems, typically, uh, then yeah. then do it. Like, I want to work myself out of a job. I don't want you coming through my damn door. Um, not if you can solve it yourself. Now, if you need me, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I, th- I happen to think I'm great, <laughs> but chances are, if you come see me, I'm going to say the same thing, like, you know, six to eight sessions and you should be cured. Uh, maybe, maybe 12 to 14. I don't know. But this whole thing of like therapy, you know, for, you know, weekly therapy for years on end is stupid. Um, we, we, we don't need that. We need to press in and become vulnerable and intimate with our own tribes, not to continue outsourcing to the professionals. I mean, how much entertainment do we need? For example, if I could draw a crude analogy, it's like you got seven streaming services. Do you need seven streaming services or do you need to get outside and like fly a paper airplane and shoot some firearms? <laughs> I don't think you need to just be glued to that's Netflix. No, I, I think that that's, that's something to be said about that is I think what has happened in the last couple of years, um, if there already wasn't a problem, I think the last couple of years have forced people indoors, at least there for a year, year and a half, forced them indoors, forced them to isolate themselves from the rest of the world. Um, so one of two things happened. I think either they became this isolationist or they turned to social media to be their tribe right. and good or bad. I, you know, I think that that's kind of where we're at right now is there's this false sense of community because you're friends with a lot of people on social media but you don't know if their name is really John or if it's Becky. You don't know if they live with grandma and never haven't, haven't leave the basement in six years or they're vibrant in their community. We don't know. We, we become friends with these people with the information that they're giving us. Right, right, right. It's and filtered. That's where a lot of this problems come from is, is the betrayal maybe, or they find out that Becky's John and he lives down the road and has been creeping on me for the last year or what, you know, whatever. But I think this, this, this community that we have created for ourselves in this world that we live now, like you said, in, in, on our screens is dangerous because human, just being around other humans, human interaction is, 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 is important. And you've got to get out and I mean, you physically had to get out and get sunlight every now and then. I mean, it, it's physically it, sunlight helps a human body. Um, you know, I couldn't live in Seattle where it rains 300 days. I'd be a miserable person because I wouldn't see sunlight, but uh, getting outside fresh air, being around people, whether or not you like them or not, go to a park. You don't have to talk to anyone. Just go to a park and people watch. Sometimes that's enough uh, just to kind of get a sense of where the world is. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing right now. Turns out the world's not on fire. Uh, the world might be on fire if you're that. on the screen. But, you know, interconnecting <laughs> in your community, it's, you know, think things are good. So you're saying that you wouldn't be you and McGregor in the island then? I don't know if anybody's uh, no, that. no. 
Um, the, the backup human to another human who like had you created you know i also would not I, what was the other movie where the guy fell in love with siri or whatever it was it came out about five or ten years ago there was a guy that like fell in love with his phone and he, he had a really, movie, right yeah it, it was a great movie but i mean i guarantee there's people out there that have this relationship with siri or their phone and it's like I feel for them. I mean, I, I do, but I mean, <laughs> they're going to figure out on their own that there's, there's, there's a world outside these four walls that you've got to break these walls down and walk outside. Sometimes it's literally as simple as walking outside and saying hello to somebody. Yeah. Shopping for your own groceries, not ordering them online. If you're a firearms owner and especially if you carry concealed, we invite you to enroll in a membership with our partner, the United States Concealed Carry Association, at uscca.com. The USCCA is more than 700,000 Americans from every faith, political stance, and walk of life spanning multiple demographics. They provide life-saving education and industry-leading training, some of which comes in the form of our firearms and mental health videos that we have recently produced and which will be made available to the membership over the next 12 months. We recommend that you obtain self-defense liability insurance available through Delta Defense and the USCCA so that if you find yourself in an act of lawful self-defense, you will be prepared for what happens before, during, and after that incident. With the common mission of saving lives, Walk the Talk America is proud to partner with the USCCA and Delta Defense, and we invite you to check out all they have to offer at uscca.com. How about that? And, and Meta, Meta, of course, is pushing us further into that world. Uh, it's not good. Um, we're talking about, you know, guns, mental health, and people suffering and struggling. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I'm just going to steal Mike's question. <laughs> he, he wanted to ask you about uh, red flag laws because we recently had this uh, mm -hmm. shooting in Colorado where apparently, yet again, the guy was known to law enforcement yet again. And Colorado has a red flag law. What happened? What are your thoughts? Probably not going to be the most popular discussion I'll have with people inside our community, the firearm community. Um, I want to first start off by saying hello. My dog is hi, baby. She's scratching. So I don't know if you, but um, I, I don't believe you can legislate what's in someone's head. I don't, I don't think that that's, uh, something that we should ever try to do is legislate what's in someone's head. That said, um, man, <laughs> I'm going to get hate on pretty, this. Pretty really dog. No, you, you, Trey, we had this conversation the very first time I was on your show, man. We were trying to yeah. find a solution because we the problem is, is we have one side. It's our echo chamber, right? They're like, absolutely. She will not be infringed. She will not be infringed. <laughs> Probably from a colded hands. You should never take away anyone's guns. But then when mm -hmm. something happens... That same person's like, he should have never had his guns. And then we're like, well, what does that sound like? Two-thirds of all deaths are suicide. Dude, it's still a life. And it was caused by a firearm. Um, the, the answer is I have no freaking clue, Jake and Mike. I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not very smart. I wish I was. What I will say is this, and like what Mike was saying, there is that one that one flank that is from my cold dead hands shall not be infringed, uh, will not comply. Rock on, bro. Like 
do your thing. The far opposite side is no one should have a gun that's ban all guns. Let's be honest. Neither one of them are right. Neither one of them are. Am I saying that, that there should be some common sense gun control? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying to you is this person was known to the authorities a year ahead of time. Wasn't like it was two weeks ago and they didn't have anything. They didn't have time to process it all. It wasn't like this person just popped up. This person was known a year ago. I'm not saying that, that they should just be tried and found guilty without any evidence of doing anything wrong. Jake, let me ask, I want to bring you into this question because I think that you might bring up bringing this in as far as maybe someone like doing a psychological profile of someone, there are certain triggers and I hate to use the word flag, but there are certain flags, red flags that are raised when someone, when, when you, when someone is being evaluated for whatever, there are certain things that pop up and you say, Whoa, okay. Through my years of experience, when something like this is said or something like this is done, typically not in all cases, but typically this is the, what happens later on in life. We all know that one of the biggest things that they say about serial killers that can tip you off is if at a young age, they start killing animals. That's a trigger to say, this person is okay with death. This person is okay with, with ending a life. So maybe down the line, it's going to be, it's going to graduate from wild cats to something else. So the answer, Mike, as I would say is, I don't know what that answer is. And I'm afraid to know what that answer is, but I think there is, there's gotta be something we can do that if law enforcement has been notified and they do a proper investigation and it comes out that this might be a threat. My biggest issue is with due process. Okay. I'm not going to sit there and say, I'm okay with you with red flag laws. Come and take someone's guns. What I would say is I would be okay with the idea of putting this person in a temporary hold as long as there is a way, a clear-cut way in writing of getting their guns back, if they are deemed to be okay by the court, by doctors, whatever, is there's got to be a roadway, a path back to gaining all of your rights and not walking around now with a scarlet letter on your chest for the rest of your life. Um, now, the answer to that is way above my pay grade. Um, would I be interested in hearing some ideas? Yes, because I do think the biggest thing we have to realize is this is not a governmental conspiracy, guys. I, I hear this. The government is not in the business of setting up mass murderers to increase their gun control debate. They're not doing that. They're not. So stop. They're also not going to just allow everyone to be the wild, wild west like it was in the 1890s, okay? So what I would say to people out there that are saying, from my cold, dead hands, it shall not be infringed, is what if it was your daughter that got shot? 
what would you be willing to do to stop the next one? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not saying that I'm for red flag laws. I, 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 in theory, I'm very against red flag laws. But I'm also a human being, and I don't. I, I'm tired. I mean, not only the Colorado thing. In the last two weeks, there have been two or three shootings at universities. There was another one, like New Mexico. There's one in Virginia. I mean, like, I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand. I know evil is everywhere, and you're never going to stop evil. I, 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 I'm the one that will stand on the mountaintop saying there is no way to stop evil. Evil's going to find a way. Jake, what do you Someone think? out there is smart enough to have an idea. Let's, let's hear every idea. Let's hear them all and figure out if we can morph two or three of them into one good one. I don't know. Sorry, yeah. what were you going to say? I was going to say, Jake, so here we are, this kid. And it's weird, man. It seems like it's a lot of 18 to 22-year-olds. How about it, that? It, it's happening a lot, right? It, it makes me wonder, like, why you never really – you're not seeing 30-year-olds doing this. You're seeing the 18 and 22-year-old crowd um, starting to shoot up things. And – you have this kid and he he got called his mom called right apparently his mother had called and said he had threatened to blow up the neighborhood they had evacuate the neighborhood uh he was a threat to himself and others um police get involved nothing happens uh colorado does have a red flag law it's weird that that wasn't enacted but maybe maybe it was the police we didn't enact it because they're pro 2A and it's so taboo to do, right? We, we've had discussions. One of your very first stories that I ever heard from you was from a guy in Colorado and it worked. Right. Right. Eventually, it, eventually it worked. Eventually it worked. Right. Now, Jake, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, right? It's like this guy should have been locked up and it should, this should have never been a red flag law just to take guns, right? Yeah, you, so, don't, you don't you don't punish the innocent, um, but here's the thing, <clears throat> Trey. You almost you almost hit on it a little bit earlier. It there should be a temporary hold, right? Um, but it's not about the property. It's not about the object. It's about the Ooh, human being, right? Absolutely, the, the person. Absolutely. So, how do we temporarily hold a person, and then what do we do? So we have these seventy-two hour holds. Okay, great. That's that's good for three days. What can you get done in three days? Nothing. So, uh, red flag laws have are problematic for a few reasons. One, they're ill-conceived. Two, there's a, a misaligned expectation that they're going to solve a problem. They can't. Uh, three, you mentioned the the path to rights restriction is the, the bar is much lower than the rights restoration. You touched on something else though about full restoration, and and we have to run that across all crimes. So. I know a handful of people who are uh, who caused um, personal injury while driving under the influence. They are felons, uh, and I'll use that label even though I don't like it uh, as a you know a, a moniker for people who are deemed such. Okay, what does that mean? You you lose your rights for everything, for all intent and purpose. You still got to check the box on the application for work. Uh, background check comes up 15 years later you did this thing 15 years ago you're not you're not worthy of hiring or whatever um you don't get to vote so even if you don't like the law that puts you in that position now you don't even get to change it so there's a big problem with our quote-unquote criminal uh, 
I'll put justice in quotes, not criminal justice, but criminal quote unquote justice system where it says uh, the the system is determined, jury appears, judge, blah, blah, blah. You go away for a certain period of time and you've now paid your penance. Now you're out. Except asterisk. <laughs> you have a scarlet letter. It's like, well, so I didn't pay my penance. I'm still actually in prison. It's just not a literal prison with literal bars. It's a metaphorical prison where I struggle mm -hmm. to find work. I have lacking self-efficacy. I've got an identity issue because all of society looks at me as a as a horrible human being who did this one thing this one time. And I don't know about you guys or anybody else listening. I don't want to be judged by my worst day. Uh, and that's a Kantism too. I don't want to be judged by my worst day especially when that day is uh, has been reconciled. So getting back to my profession, I work in a, a space that believes healing can happen, change can occur, progress can, can take place. So why then would I believe that people should be viewed as to what they used to be as opposed to where they are now? I don't. I simply don't. So to your question, what do we do about these people who are threatening to blow up their neighborhoods? Get them into treatment. Intervene. That's what you do. You don't sit there and penalize everybody else who didn't do the wrong thing. We don't take car keys away from people because there's a spate of DUIs in the town. No. Like that, and that's a privilege, not a right. Like driving an automobile is a, is a privilege. Transportation is a right. You can transport yourself by your feet. But can you imagine like if there are people walking around with IEDs strapped to their chests, blowing up random grocery stores that we would just lock down an entire community and say no you're no longer allowed to transport yourself no it'd be it'd be it'd be lunacy china aside because they're doing that um <laughs> speaking of totalitarian That's states cool. um why why would we do that with a personal right to defense uh, why, why, why would we do that? Well, because ignorance, that's why people don't truly understand firearms culture. They don't understand the nuances and depth to it. They don't understand the 700 year history of it. Like they don't, they just don't get it. Okay. So it seems convenient, easy, low hanging political fruit to pluck and throw to the base to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing in my next two years and reelect me right. Long-term longitudinal multi-generational solutions don't earn a lot of political capital they don't generate donations to the campaign and they don't sound good as talking points on the the campaign trail so the policymakers who are by and large elected into office sometimes they're appointed but by and large they're elected they have to appeal to the masses hopefully and not just to their base to get into those offices and short-term instant gratification solutions are how you do it because it triggers triggers the limbic system um we're, we're compelled by emotion to go act on things. Fine. I get it. I teach emotional functioning. I get it. Um, but that's not a solution that may be solving the symptom or not, but it's not solving the problem. And the problem is look, look at the standing pattern of all these uh, occurrences and the person who did it broken homes, every single one of them. How do you solve that? Well, you can't legislate it. Are you going to legislate parents to not be divorced? I mean, the the, the right is trying to <laughs> legislate pro-life. It's like, that's not a good idea either, right? So, like, it doesn't matter where you land on this thing. What matters is that the effectiveness of the policy decisions is not effective. So, if I had my magic wand, which I already told you I broke and won't be repaired anytime soon, it would be to get these people into care. All right, fine, cool. You got care. You got psych evaluations. You got somebody probably bearing my 
uh, credential that's going to sit down and evaluate this person through some series of metrics that's been vetted by some accrediting body, uh, battery of tests, whatever it is, that then says, you're not harmful, but it's not harmful now. At the time I administer the evaluation, you're deemed safe. I can't look into my crystal ball and predict that five minutes later, you won't be safe. That's the best we can do. And to your point about evil, it's always going to be with us. How do we navigate that? Living better, teaching good principles, uh, promoting ethics, promoting self-accountability and community accountability. It's not going to be through force of law, uh, which, by the way, is understaffed and underpowered and under-resourced anyway. So let's say the cops actually did intervene with this kid who's going to blow up his neighborhood. They get him into care. Where are you going to find the good, effective care? Who's going to pay for it? That's all on the taxpayer, yeah. too. So a lot of these guys who are like, you know, cold, dead hands, right? And like, somebody should do something. It's like, dig into your wallet, buddy. Somebody's got to pay for that. Yeah. Uh, oh, not me. His insurance. He doesn't have insurance. Remember, broken home. Uh, mom's working three jobs. She doesn't qualify for state insurance. If she does, um, maybe the kid gets it on a waiting list for four months to get into well, a clinic. He gets great treatments. Yeah. Right. It's it's limited in its effectiveness. And then what's the training of the person who's doing this treatment? Is it just random run-of-the-mill intern? Because that's usually who takes state insurance. And I'm talking about Medicaid here. What about the gap insurance? Uh, the, the state exchanges, the Obamacare stuff. It's okay, cool. You got a $5,000 deductible. Now you're paying the full cash rate. Like it's just the, the whole place is a mess. The system is busted. And I think the reason the system is busted is because we passed too many policies that rely on other people's contributions, whether it's me with my time and my resources, or it's the, the taxpayer money that's going to fund it, or it's the judge who's backlogged in her court, or it's the law enforcement professional whose department is overwhelmed with this stuff anyway. And oh, by the way, we didn't even talk about confiscation of the weapons and where they get stored. Uh, space issues, you know, like check in, check out. Like the the whole thing is just bogged down with administ administrative overreach and bureaucratic red tape. The answer is self accountability. Take responsibility for yourself. Tend to your family. Get off your damn screen. Raise your kid well. And and I don't mean at fourteen. Fourteen, it's too late. He's a full grown man yeah. for all intent and purpose. I mean. We rewind the clock about 2,000 years. <laughs> the age of, of majority was not 18 or 21 or whatever arbitrary number we want to put on it. Be like, well, just raise the rage of assault weapon purchases. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, let's pretend that's even enforceable by the law enforcement that's overwhelmed and under-resourced. Let's pretend that we can actually execute this, this intervention. Uh, he's still got chemicals under his sink, right? And he's got access to the internet and the anarchist handbook or cookbook or whatever it's called. Like he's, he's going to make a bomb. Like, <laughs> so that's cool. We want to treat the symptoms. Neat, neat. Yeah. That sells ads and gets clicks and campaign donations. What's the root cause? The root cause is, is brokenness within the home, within the community, across culture. Address that and you got it solved. Nobody's running a campaign on that though. I'm not going to get elected to the legislature on that because it's not sexy. It's not fun. It takes years, decades, generations. So turn inward. Look at yourselves. This is why I keep pushing emotional functioning. This is why I keep pushing family systems dynamics. Uh, take personal accountability. I don't care that you went through a, a childhood of trauma and the best way you know how to raise your kid is to uh, inflict pain. 
I don't care that that's your worldview. You, it's not effective. That's what I care about. I mean, yeah, I do care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be validating and I'm going to be compassionate to that to the point that I then get you to go, oh, I am the one who gets to stop the generational cycle of abuse and trauma and not inflict it upon my children. That's what I care about. I, I care about getting you to commit to making interpersonal change within your own peer group. It's not up to .gov. .gov is too big as it is. I mean, look at look at the examples we have. Red flag laws work. They lowered gun suicides in Connecticut. Cool. How did Connecticut's overall suicide rate do? Not well. It went up just like everybody else. So all you're doing is like squeezing a balloon. I'm like, oh, it's puffy over here. Squeeze it. Oh, it's puffy over there. Squeeze it again. No, that doesn't work. So there is no easy solution. There is a solution. It's just unsexy and gross and, and weird and, and takes hard work and elbow grace and personal reflection. And right now our culture is going the opposite direction. Get your kid off TikTok. Get your kid off TikTok. I can't say that loud enough. Get your kid off TikTok. Ban it from your house. And the next thing you ban is Snapchat. And after that, it's Facebook. And after that, uh, maybe it's Instagram. If your kid's on Twitter, well, I guess they should probably be in college. But like, like it's, it's, it's just weird. Twitter's a weird place, man. It is a weird place. <laughs> it took me, I mean, I'm a professional in the mental health realm. It took me the better part of eight or nine months to figure out how to make Twitter edifying. And I did. But I almost quit multiple times because it was just so toxic. I mean, it's just it's just drudgery. Uh, and then when I did, it was great for about a year and a half. And then I was like, I think I've run this course. I don't I don't think I need it anymore. So I, I did a sober October where I detoxed myself from Twitter. It's now mid November, late November, and I haven't I haven't gone back. <laughs> it's like I I got all I needed out of that. I got some sub stacks that I can subscribe to. I made some really good friends around the country and around the world. I'm like I'm good. I don't think I need to go back into that cesspool. But yeah, that's that's how you do yeah. it. It's it's a weird place. Um, for me, the whole Twitter thing is is I don't understand the concept of why I think people want to read what I have to say in 140 characters or less. Like I don't I, I I I I get if you're a celebrity and people are into like, hey, what's the Kardashians doing? And hey, I just had a pumpkin spice latte. Cleanse yourself, people, or what? I I don't under like I don't understand. Like I'm not looking for the fortune cookie like person. I don't want someone to sit there and tell me how to live my life in under 140 characters. Well, you're already So to me, Twitter doesn't understand. I don't understand it because that's not anything that I would want to do in my general life, much less why do people want to listen to what I have to say in under 140 characters? Well, but, but, you're, but you're, you're our age. You're, you're, we're in our 40s now. We True. practiced pre-internet social skills. Yeah. And there's, I don't even know what the number is these days. It's probably, I don't know, 3 billion people on, on the earth who are, under the age of 30 and never knew that life, you know, so it's like, yeah. that's why, um, and the, and the, and the cascade of this impact is catching up and it's, it's not good. It's, it's like, you know, you, you can only, you can only rack up so much credit card debt before the trinkets that you bought come crashing down on you in the form of bills due. Uh, and that's, mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing. We're having to pay the bill, on all the instant gratification and lack of distress tolerance that we've pushed into our youth. It's not good at all. 18 to 22. And that just, that's like the magic age range. It's not good. There it is. 
No, it's not. And, and, and kind of what, you know, we were talking a little bit off air before and kind of about this whole Colorado thing. And, and once again, I go back to there, there's gotta be a solution. And I love what you're saying, Jake. I love that. Hey, it's going to start with us, like within ourselves. That's where it's got to start or in our homes. Um, I love that idea. But I we're love out of that idea. I just don't. I don't think government's going to allow that to happen. Well, we're out of practice. I don't think it can. I don't even think it's about allowing or you know any sort of um, you know sinister uh, undercurrent of agenda. It's it's that it's not possible. You can't you know you can't reach into the heart of the individual. Um, yep. What you can do is create some structure where the individual can change. Very much like my my therapy practice, like my office is supposed to be warm and welcoming, conducive to people who want to change if they choose to, uh, ultimately you can make all the laws in the world, but how many civilizations across time resulted in, uh, devolution or, uh, deterioration or collapse or just out open conflict because the people got tired of being told what to do by an authority that they didn't sign on for. So, you know, I, I just think we're out of practice. Or in their minds, they don't recognize them as an authority. Well, that, that's yeah, a real sure. thing also. Sure, illegitimacy. And, and we got enough of that going around now with election theft <laughs> and the Trump crowd and, you know, and, and denials and all that stuff. And that's not good either to, to doubt the systems of trust. And then when those systems of trust get compromised by financial incentives like the medical establishment now, um, the, the Centers for Disease Control, the the Federal Drug Authority, uh, associate, whatever it is, FDA, Federal Drug Authority, yeah. Um, administration. Administration. I knew I had the wrong word there. Uh, but then you, you start getting into political appointments for the judiciary, and you go, well, geez, now I can't even rely on medicine or law uh, to be honest and forthright and blind and sterilized. Uh, it's, it's really bad that when we erode trust. So again, we go back to personal accountability, you know, Jordan Peterson stuff, mm -hmm. 12 rules for life. Like yeah. who's in charge of you, you. And if you start to outsource that, you better be darn sure that what you're outsourcing it to has your best interests in mind. For almost 75 years, Strum Ruger and company incorporated has been a model of corporate and community responsibility. Their motto Arms Makers for Responsible Citizens echoes their commitment to these principles as they work hard to deliver quality and innovative firearms. They offer consumers almost 800 variations of more than 40 product lines across both the Ruger and Marlin brands. And since 2021, Ruger has been a strong supporter of Walk the Talk America in full alignment with this mission and philosophy. We invite you to check out Ruger.com and browse their multiple products and help support our mission along the way. Walk the Talk America thanks Ruger for its continued support of this show and our mission. Signing over my own personal autonomy to somebody else is is mighty risky. I do it in my profession when we take on interns and we say, hey, I'm going to mentor you into this profession. There there should be at least a, a reasonable interview that occurs or series of interviews to allow yourself to be molded by this individual that's going to be in your best interest as well as those of the profession and the community. But if you get a, a crappy supervisor who pushes you into some lazy brand of clinical work, you're not doing anybody any good and you're not doing yourself any good. And you're going to find yourself out of a job pretty quick because you're not helping people. Uh, 
So eventually, the you know and individuals start a whole another spiral down a lifestyle. You lose your job. What spiral does that take you down? Oh, absolutely. and then it builds and it builds and it builds. Yeah, you know. So way back in the beginning of the, the conversation, you were talking about the the structure of the the Marine Corps, and I was thinking, man, if we had that kind of structure in psychotherapy, where it's like, no, we're gonna we're gonna strip down everything you think you know about the world and life, and we're going to teach you this other stuff while encouraging you to have your own opinions, but they better be well-rooted, at least in theory, if not in evidence, then we'd probably be better off. But I think we've gotten too loose and cutesy, and we've, we've run fast and loose with the with the guardrails, and postmodernism hasn't helped this any. It says, you know, make up your own truth as you go. <laughs> well, all right, well, then what standards do we have? Well, standards don't matter. My my lived experience says otherwise. Like, ooh, I don't know that we should go there. That's probably not a good rule to, to abide by. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, you hit on something earlier. Um, talking about not being judged by your best, your, by your worst day. And I was reading something. I don't honestly remember what it was I was reading, but I was reading something and it said, you wouldn't pick up a book and just flip to the middle chapter, read that chapter and judge that book. Would you? So why would you judge someone on the worst chapter in their lives? Mm-hmm. And, and that, <clears throat> that kind of hit me. I was like, wow, that's pretty strong right there. Like we don't know what happened yesterday to this person. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So are we going to judge them from the five minutes that I've interacted with this person in his entire life? Um, no, but here we can bring it back to the discussion of red flag laws. Um, what we can do is judge what they have done in the past and look for markers, look for criteria that said, look, this isn't always the case, but maybe we want to keep a closer eye on this guy. The, the, the law enforcement knew about this kid in Colorado a year ago. Am I saying take away his guns? Hell no. Am I saying put this person into jail without committing a crime because he might commit a crime down the road? No. Maybe this is someone we might want to have checked out once every six weeks or every once a month, have him come in and see someone saying, hey, you know, you were kind of put on a list, and in order to get off this list, you're going to have to do certain things. We're not going to take any of your property away. We're just asking, would you come and talk to someone once every six weeks or whatever? I don't know if that's the answer or not. Uh, What I can tell you is (laughs) I'll tell you the, the problem that we're having as a society is we've forgotten to be human beings. We forgot what it is to be a good person. Uh, let's just be honest. Um, now, outside of war and outside of self-defense, okay, I think war and self-defense are two legitimate reasons that having to take someone's life. It is what it is. For, for the average person who's going to go into a nightclub or a university or the gas station and take someone's life, and I might be using the terminology wrong, and I apologize, Jake, um, those aren't same people that do that. No, maybe temporarily, but no one naturally 
has the idea of I'm going to go take someone's life. It's not a natural thought. Or at least the action, a lot of people think it, but actually doing it isn't something that's natural without some sort of problems. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's where the conversation breaks down about uh, no prior diagnosis of mental illness. Like, well, you built in a lot of presumptions there. One is that there was treatment episodes occurring that someone could render said diagnosis. And two, that they met diagnostic criteria. I mean, repeatedly we're taught episodic moments of violence are not mental illnesses. So get that off the table. Like that's not a thing. Uh, You have to have a pattern. There's got to be time limitations around it to, to render a diagnosis as a mental illness. So like the, the, the broader public lay people in general don't understand mental illness at all, at all, like not at all. And it's only exacerbated by TikTok diagnoses and people saying, uh, if you have any of these and they point to the little things on the screen, it's like, uh, that you have anxiety. It's like, yeah, well, anxiety isn't always bad all the time either. Anxiety is what makes me study for a test. Anxiety is what makes me study film for in preparation of the sporting event, right? So I want to... In our world, anxiety is the reason why I make sure that I'm situationally aware everywhere I go. Totally. Yeah, you you want to... We don't want to eliminate anxiety the same as we don't want to eliminate anger. So we, what we want to do is we want to recognize, acknowledge, and harness the usefulness of these psychological mm-hmm. constructs or, or um, um, neurological, um, I guess, uh, alerts, uh, if, if I can say that. We want to know why they're there. We don't want to sit yeah. there and just lock people up for them. However, uh, we don't live in minority report, and we don't get to just take people's freedoms, whether it be a 72-hour psych hold, <laughs> yeah, I said it, um, or they're firearms because we are afraid of what they might do one day so based on your your analysis there of you know pattern of history okay well if we've got a pattern of history of uh, maladaptive displays of behavior then maybe action is necessary and i think we have more than enough to deal with that I think that there's this so-called gap Once again, in between. You're talking about there's action that should be necessary for that person, not for their property. Yeah. Like yeah. Right. that he person needs to be treated. Yeah. He, he said out loud, this is what I'm going to do. Right. How many of us have thought or said, I'm going to do something, never done it. Right. Even just like getting cut off and, you know, Two people gonna are going at it, and you're like, "Yeah, I'll kill you, motherfucker." You know, like that type right. of deal, right? But um, you know, the, I don't know. You know, just uh, this one seems like it was a pretty big threat. You know, if you have to evacuate a neighborhood on a threat, I feel like there should have been something done here. Uh, I was so just let me, let me ask you this, Mike: is this is this the failure of red flag laws? Or is this a failure of law enforcement of not doing their job a year ago? Is this the failure of the fa- I, I, the answer is I, I don't know, but I mean I can't imagine that it's it's the failure of a red flag. Red flag law was not going to stop this dude from being evil. Yeah, and I don't Taking even know if firearms not to, yeah. he, like like Jason. He would have found if he would have figured out a way if he wanted to hurt people, he would have hurt people. Yeah, I think this is a it's a failure and I hate to throw the police under the bus here because like I said, I think it's always a judgment call and you're just like 
you, you know, I think cops have a really tough time because it's like, do we really want to ruin someone's life over a bad day? <laughs> right. I, I think you're always weighing that. But, uh, you know, it's easy to play armchair. You know, let's look back in the past quarterback after it's said and done. But, you know, you know, I just think about the threat when you. Because you know, my biggest fear with the, the, the red flag laws is just someone making an assessment on my behavior, but I'm not, I haven't actually said anything, right? Like when you publicly come out and say, like, I'm going to do this. Well, you know, eventually this, this gets detailed, down to detailed, by the way, not just, I'm going to do this. It's here's what I'm going to do and how many people it was detailed what this guy wanted to do, but it still gets down to personal Sorry. responsibility. And, and I don't mean the, the individual who wanted I to do, do the thing. Let's, let's presume he's evil, right? He's got evil in his heart. He's going to do something. All right, cool. Personal responsibility says all firearms under store your firearms to in such, in such a way that it deters unauthorized access that's what walk talk america has been saying for a couple of years now that's how we're defining responsible storage so that kid right. if he wants to perpetrate harm with a gun he can't find a gun if all firearms owners are storing responsibly he can't smash and grab your automobile and take it out from under the seat if it's in a life pod so there's that but then there's the personal responsibility on behalf of the acting officer slash sergeant slash lieutenant who then refers it to whatever the system in place is social worker uh mobile outreach support team crisis intervention person who then refers it to me in my clinic uh okay somebody at some point says nope still not good enough nope still not good enough and then at some point they have to go yep you're good now nobody in my community is interested in that nobody and, and I, I am that bold because I don't know anybody because I've continually asked people for things as low as custody evaluations. Nope, nobody does it. Nobody's interested. Nobody wants the burden. And what is this? This goes back to the question you asked about your friend's wife, uh, whoever it was. It's like, you're really troubled by these things. It's like, yeah, because we all take them home with us. Like, I don't know, man. I just did this, this uh, psych eval on this guy who – you know, he had his guns taken away a year and a half ago and he did treatment and he seems fine now, but boy, my hand was shaking when I put my signature on that paperwork. Cause I know it's going to go to the judge and the judge is going to read my Six words months and, down the road. What happens? Right. You know, it's like, well, they're going to come back and sue me. It's like, we've all forgotten the, the phrase at this juncture, at this juncture, the individual is fine. And then you have to wipe your hands and walk away because that's the best you could do at that time. Well, I don't know. I'm going to get sued, dude. You're going to get sued anyway. Uh, so do the best you can do, do it with high fidelity and then walk away and, and have faith. And yeah, this probably speaks to a spiritual aspect because it's belief in something unseen, but you got to have faith that things are going to work out. And if they don't work out, I don't see us beating ourselves up for discharging somebody successfully from care who then goes off and like falls back into addiction. Oh no, it was totally my fault. Why don't we get sued over that? Why? Why? It's not sexy. It's it doesn't hit headlines. We haven't been programmed over many years to think that the alcohol bottle was the problem. The white wolf he purchased from the convenience store that landed him on the street was the problem. No, the gun is the problem. No, it isn't. It's the individual. And at some point, an individual who treated that person who slipped back into alcoholism isn't responsible. There's a reason why that person chose to go towards a bottle right. to begin with. As opposed to anything else. And they completed care. You know, I don't know how many times I've, I, I mean, I worked in adult drug court for a year. People mandated 
through a deferred sentencing or an alternative sentencing to avoid prison, got into our program and relapsed and then entered again and relapsed again. And then they went up to their five to 15 or whatever it was like, am I responsible for that? No, no. That is one of the tenets of our profession is again, the error of omnipotence. I am not responsible for your decision-making Trey. I'm not responsible for Mike's decision-making. I'm not responsible for my interns. I'm not responsible for my patients. I'm not responsible for anybody but me. And yet we've got this narrative that says, the the courts failed the system failed. the principal failed to call the school social worker the the counselor the the neighbor across the street who saw him getting in his car it's like no where we have lost personal accountability we need to start placing it squarely back in the lap of the individual who did the thing and i don't i'm not interested in jumping out in front of that insofar as we can provide help and wrap them around and say hey look we're going to make our best effort to get you healed and then once you're healed by my metrics which are quantifiable hopefully then you're done. You're, you're, you're good. You're going like I treat people in couples relationships all the time. Their marriage dissolves. I'm not sitting there tossing and turning six years later going, Oh man, if I'd only asked a different question, no, that's absurd. And why is our mental health like (laughs) regressing across the country? It's probably because people are making the error of omnipotence thinking that they're responsible for other people's outcomes. The, if only I had recycled more, the climate wouldn't be changing. It's like, stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Do what you can and go to sleep at night knowing that you've done what you could. That's it. Yeah. So, Trey, just circling back to something you said earlier about how, yeah. you know, you guys were built different on these stressful situations. Turns out that the person who stopped this person was an army vet who, uh, yeah who basically ran while everyone was running away, he was running towards him, was not armed. Um, I'm reading it right now. It looks like he subdued or struggled with uh, Aldrich, is the guy, on the ground and then started yelling for somebody to help him. And then uh, a drag queen performer came over with uh, a high heel shoe and they started pounding on this guy. (laughs) Um, You know, but going, just... That struck me. It's this kind of like what you said. These, these I, I hadn't heard that that that, that he was a, a vet. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's um, army vet. Um, yeah, it says army vet here, and uh, and in some horrible uh, news here, it turns out that his this vet's daughter's boyfriend was one of the victims who died there. Yeah. Um, but still, like, goes to show you, you know, um, people in the service built a little different, right? Uh, I mean, not even armed and stop this guy. You know, I I would, I would. (laughs) Yeah. It's, 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 it's a cool thing. Um, You know, I would like to think that anyone would have done that, but obviously there was only one person that did that. Um, And maybe there is a correlation as to why the one person that thought, Hey, maybe someone should take this guy out was a, a veteran i i don't know whether there's correlation or not I, i'd like to think that everyone would have that but they, they don't and that's okay uh, I, I think a lot of it what it comes down to is once can we go back to the thought, thought process of um so here, here's something um most people don't know this about me um i did not join the marine corps for any kind of self sense of duty I was not a patriotic kid. I was a spoiled brat from suburb Dallas. Um, Grew up 
in a family that had money. Um, never had to really worry about anything. I joined the Marine Corps because I got in a bad way with things and I knew that my life was going down a road that I don't know if I could recover from. So I decided a buddy of mine said, Hey, let's go join the military. I thought, hell, you know what? That's as good of a solution as anything. Going back to where my mindset is, is he wanted to go join the army. And I said, nah, so if I want to do this, I'm going to go the hard way. I want to go the hardest way possible. I'm going to go to the Marine Corps. Um, so maybe there is something to that, but ultimately what it comes down to is the one thing maybe that they instill in you besides all the physical and all that stuff is maybe that there is a sense of something that's you're doing it for something bigger than you. There's, there's a purpose that's, uh, whether it's the flag your family, whatever it is, maybe the people that have been through some of those things, they live their life with the understanding that it's bigger than them. And maybe that's why this, this army vet was the only one to say, Hey, I'm going to go jump on that grenade. Cause ultimately that's what it was. I'm going to put myself in harm's way to maybe save someone else. Uh, you hear about the Kyle Carpenters of the world that literally, literally jumped on a grenade to save his team um, and gets the medal of honor for it. Maybe this was this guy's way. We don't know. Maybe, maybe this was his way of showing homage to a buddy of his that died or something and said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go jump on this grenade. I'm going to go get this guy so that no one else gets hurt. I would like to think that everyone would do that. The answer is Mike is maybe, maybe there is a correlation that I never really thought of. Maybe, maybe, the sense of, of something bigger than oneself is something that is a real thing uh, that lives inside veterans. I, I don't know. Um, you know, Veterans Day was a, a week or 10 days ago or whatever. And I was, I was asked to be on a podcast um, and, and, and talked about it. And they said, you know, do you get, do you like it when people say thank you for serving? I hate that. Um, matter of fact, even my daughter sent me a text on veterans day, she says, I know you hate this. So I'm just going to say, I love you. And, uh, you know, she didn't say thank you. She said, I love you. And someone asked me one time, it's like, what can we do to say thank you? Be a better fucking person. Be someone as a citizen of this world that is worth someone to go and serve for you, to lay their lives down for you. Be that person. Just be a good freaking person. And sometimes that's it. Sometimes being a good person is jumping on a guy while he's shooting up a club. Sometimes a good person is saying, this is my son. I know he's got problems. I have to do something. Sometimes being a good person is saying, um, instead of trying to point the finger at a tool, let's face the real problems that are out there taking someone's gun is not the problem that the problem is not the gun. The problem is there are people in this world that need help and we need to figure out a way to better identify them. And once we have identified them, like Jake said, give them a pathway to healing. I don't know. I just, I just think ultimately as a society with the social, we, we've gone down so many different rabbit holes tonight. It's been awesome, but it's like the social media thing. The, the 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 law enforcement thing whatever you know what 
let's just be better people across the world. Like, not everyone that lives in the Middle East are evil. Not everyone that carries a gun is evil. Matter of fact, the vast majority are really good people. Really good people. We're being judged by our worst chapter. Me, you, and, 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 and all three of us in this room and everyone that's probably listening to this are in some way connected to the gun community. And all of us are being judged on our worst day, on our worst chapter. And those chapters are typically when something makes the news. You never see a good Samaritan that concealed carries lawfully that stops a mass murder. You never see that on the news. What you see is five dead at a local nightclub. We're being judged on our worst day, and that's not fair either. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to stop. It's a message of encouragement and hope, and um, and there's an exhortation in there to level up. So, Mike. All right, Trey. Um, so, so glad to have you on. It is long overdue. My, my honor, guys. I, I love you guys, and thanks for having me on. I, I'm not worthy of being on this, but I, I appreciate you guys very much. And so how do you tend to your mental health? So um, <laughs> I, I, I started doing it about a year ago, and, and, and I feel bad because I stopped doing it. But for me, I used to do a, a, week, a daily thing, and then turn into a weekly thing, and it turned into I'm not doing it all. Uh, thinking on Instagram, a little 15-second reel, a thought of the day, an inspirational thought of the day, whether it's um, whatever. I- I'll tell you how I deal with it day-to-day is um, Marcus Luttrell, who was the lone survivor. Uh, I saw one of his speeches, and he talked about how he got out of there. And he said he drew a line in his mind three feet ahead of him. And I'm going to crawl to that line. And when I get there, I'm going to mentally draw another line three feet away. And I'm going to crawl to that line. And next thing you know, he's five miles away. And he didn't even realize what had happened. I live three feet at a time. Is the only way I can tell you. Every day. Every day is a new day. And you try to find something every day to live for. Um, I, I give myself one good fight a day, like really good fight a day. And so for me, it's one of those things where I have to pick my battles and which one am I going to fight for that day, whatever it is. And whatever I choose that day to fight for is I go wholeheartedly passionately into that fight for that day. And then when that day's done, I wake up and I I try to, to, to fight one more day. Um, I wish I had something profound to say. It's literally three feet at a time is the best way I can explain it um, is I live three feet at a time. Yeah. I, I don't worry say. about tomorrow and I don't worry about yesterday. Like I literally, I'm never going to be rich because I don't save money. I probably should, but I don't. Um, if there's something my wife and I want to do, we do it. If there's something we want to buy, we buy it and we enjoy today. And that's how I live. Honestly, it sounds weird, but it's probably not the best way to live. I don't suggest that to people that ever want to retire in life with any money whatsoever. But I can tell you that we enjoy today. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always say, uh, you know, it's something that I use. You, you talk about three feet, draw a line three feet, but I always say, like, waking up is the first fight of the day, right? When, once you yeah. wake up, you've already you're one to know, like you're up. Getting out of bed, that. you're one to know. Yeah, and the rest. I of love it. that. Uh, there was something uh, I can't. Remember, it was in a movie, maybe. Maybe I don't know. I heard it somewhere, and it says, "If you can laugh and cry every day, that's a pretty good day." If you can find something in your life to make you laugh and you can find something in your life to make you cry every day, that's a pretty good day. And crying doesn't necessarily mean in a sad way, you know, be thankful for something or remember somebody. But if you can laugh and cry every day, that's a pretty good day. I don't know where I heard that, but I've always loved that line. I like that too. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. I uh, appreciate the work you're doing and the voice that you give to people who need it and the ear that you lend to people who need an ear. It's uh, it's important to me. And, um, you know, you're, what you do and what some of the other guys and gals that we see, um, you know, and who we've had on this show and who are integrated into our life uh, as Walk the Talk America continue to do is my three feet. It's like I, I get yeah. to see something else. That I'm like, ooh, I, I can achieve that. If that, if that person's doing it, I can do that too. So, um, whether or not you know it or realize it, you're, you're an inspiration to others. And so thank you. Um, that matters and appreciate, appreciate you. So thanks for carving out the time and, uh, thanks for all your, yeah. your loyalty. Anytime. Um, I don't like Mike said, it's been you know long overdue, but, um, here we are. And I think, I think the timing is always right. So appreciate you, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. I mean, um, so interestingly enough, uh, last weekend, uh, my Facebook, talking about Meta, my Facebook and Instagram got deleted um, huh. for no reason. They sent me an email and said, we dis- we decided that you are no longer eligible to use this. Uh, for security reasons, we're not allowed to tell you why, but this decision is final. So um, my Facebook page for ghost tactical still out there but since they deleted my personal profile i can't log into my ghost tactical page so it's there it's in limbo you can do what you want to with it because it can't happen nothing can happen uh i did start up another instagram now it's called ghost tactical 2.0 um so i just lost a ten thousand, whatever it was that they're gone um so yeah if you're out there please um, you know, I spent five years cultivating this, but please, if you're out there, you like Instagram, we pull, we, we have some fun stuff, but, uh, go see ghost Tactical 2.0. Uh, the biggest place that we are is YouTube. Obviously, uh, we do a lot of firearm related content, obviously the armed citizen podcast where we tried to go, uh, do every Tuesday night. We, we bring up a topic that's relevant, um, for the armed citizen in this country, we have a little fun. We have polls. We, we try to laugh. We try to do all that. But we, we have some pretty serious topics. And then the Jarhead podcast is out there as well and all your favorite podcast stuff. So, yeah, we do, we're do we busy, especially with a full-time job. Um, but I think, obviously, what you can do is the best thing that you can do if you want to follow us is just um, you can go to our website, ghosttactical.us. And from that point on, 
we have our links to everywhere that we are. But uh, what, I, what I would like to say is thank you guys for having me. Like I said, there is absolutely no legitimate reason why I'm on this podcast except for the fact that we're friends. Uh, and I and I honor that. And I, I honor our friendships. And I, I appreciate you guys. You guys are the ones that are doing all the heavy lifting. We just try to help you maybe um, get people to hear you a little bit more and all of that. And not just me, but everyone in our, in our YouTube community needs to um understand that but yeah you guys do all the heavy lifting and i know it's not easy um and so i wish i could do more but like i said i'm out there too busy buying stupid stuff and i don't save money where i would give you all the money that i had um but i will say this you guys are uh, you you don't realize how much of an impact that y'all have made in, in the last few four three four five years um so thank you for that. And please keep doing what you're doing because um, just because you may not see the results, they're out there. And I can even say to my local, my local gun shop has Walk the Talk America flyers. There are people in our town of 7,000 people that know who Walk the Talk America is in Arkansas. So um, you guys are doing some really amazing work. So thank you for doing that, guys. And I'll see you in less than two months. Yes, you will. Hopefully. Yes, you will. You'll see Jake. Jake is coming down for the <laughs> week. Oh, you're coming long. down too? Sweet. All week long. Yeah. Yep. You weren't there last year. You were there in 2020, though, weren't you? I was. 2020, we for a day. Yeah. 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 I was there for two days. Uh, two days. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I could manage at the time. At least I could only be there for two days. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right well uh thanks again trey miller uh I, personally i can't wait to become a threat to democracy so we too can be canceled from social media um that's when you know you've arrived i guess on behalf on behalf so of uh <laughs> and maybe god's stepping down and he's like you need to be off social media too buddy <laughs> here's right, your first kid the sign <laughs> well, on behalf of the walk the talk america family and our zephyr wellness family on behalf of our platinum sponsors uh, rock island armory and arms corps and ruger uscca chattanooga shooting sports and nsgw uh, we thank you all we wish you all great mental wellness bye-bye i'm not very smart i wish i was